Last week we had another hiatus. We did it on St. Luke's Day as well for All Saints Sunday. So we interrupted the course of the normal readings for this uh, cycle of the Green Sunday readings. So we missed the first reading from the book of Ruth. This morning I want to preach on the book of Ruth, the reading for this Sunday, but also uh, the gospel where we have the famous story of the widow's might. Before that, let me just say that last week we reminded ourselves that uh, sanctity is not to be understood only as some form of heroic Christian behavior that allows people to be saints, but we're reminded that uh, all of us are called to be saints and that the process of sanctity is just that. It's a process of growing and learning God's purposes for us and seeing how God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness can be made available to us to improve uh, our sense of serenity internally in our emotional, spiritual, and mental states, but also bring health to relationship and that we're to make a difference in the world, and uh, that's part of the process of sanctity. So last week... We had chapter one of the book of Ruth. Uh, Every once in a while when I uh, meet with a couple that are going to get married at St. Luke's Church and we're talking about what the liturgy is going to do and how we do all that, uh, one of them will say, Oh, I want you to read that beautiful passage from the book of Ruth. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And I say, well, uh, we, we can read that, but you need to know that Ruth was speaking to Naomi and not to Boaz. <laughs> so on more than one occasion, I have had the rejoinder, well, they, know, they won't know. And the unfortunate piece to that is, they're right. (laughs) In any case, uh, this book, here are the the, um, scholarly issues around the book of Ruth and and what some of the ways we can understand its meaning and purpose. Uh, There's a body of biblical scholarship that says this is an early book where it's located in uh, the canon of the Old Testament, at least in the Christian Jewish scriptures, um, would indicate the ordering comes from uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. And uh, it means maybe that it was written between 1000 BC and 800 BC. So it's before the exile in Babylon. And then there's a body of scholarship that says this book was written after the exile, which would mean sometime in the 500s B.C. And in one sense, that's important for a number of reasons. Because three things are presented to us in this reading today uh, that are important for understanding the history of uh, the Jewish people, the history of the people of Israel, and also some things about the way in which we understand what is another undercurrent in the book of Ruth that's very important. 
If it's old, then it is a book that is maybe mainly about reinforcing something in Judaism called the Leverate Law. The Leverate Law is the law that says if a man is married and he dies and leaves his wife a widow, his brother, if he has one, is to marry her and to have children by her and raise them thus ensuring the continuity of the family. Now, saying that sounds just, oh my goodness, this is 2012. What kind of a world would we have if that had to be done? It might surprise you to know that levirate marriage has been practiced in Western Christianity. Henry VIII married Catherine of Aragon, who was his brother's wife. It was a levirate marriage, really. So, you know, these things have happened over time. Uh, I, here I am again saying this. I went on YouTube this week and heard in Hebrew, I couldn't understand a word of it, of course, but a rabbi in Israel speaking about the levirate law in Hebrew. And all across the screen were all these Hebrew, was all the Hebrew characters describing what it was he was talking about, where it came from and how it is. So I guess it's still a lively topic in some circles. <laughs> so levirate marriage is one thing. The other thing is, if it's pre-exilic, then it has something to do with establishing for the readership and for the community the Davidic line. Because how does this end? Naomi takes the child, Obed, who becomes Jesse's father, who is the father of David. And these kinds of genealogies loom large in the biblical witness. You'll see in Matthew's gospel a somewhat problematic, but nonetheless there, genealogy uh, taking great pains to connect Jesus to King David because he represents the return of the halcyon days of Israel, King David, King Solomon, and so establishing here even in the book of Ruth that you can refer to that uh, David is, Jesse is in this line that has been here for a long, long time. But there's a third thing that I think is probably even more important than that. And that... This book is about the importance of inclusion. It's about the importance of how we understand uh, people being incorporated into the community who come from plural backgrounds, uh, different cultural emphases, uh, different, different ways of looking at the world. And we have here two Moabite women who have been absorbed into the people of Israel. And it's a commercial message in the book of Ruth for why that, and the importance of that, and that the, the necessity for the flexibility for that to occur. So that we already begin to see in the ancient biblical witness this movement towards seeing that we should err always on the side of inclusion. This is not as easy as it sounds when we're talking about the ancient era. Think about now. 
We've got a lot of people who believe that the only way we can restore ourselves to any kind of sanity in public life is to draw the lines more clearly. And certainly that's true in our religious self-understanding, that you have to have a very highly defined understanding of who's in and who's out. I've always believed in my ministry, the longer I've been a priest, that it is more important that we labor to find out ways to keep people in. Does this mean that you have to continuously compromise your principles? I don't believe that. I believe it has something to do with how we become now enriched. These two women will make a huge contribution to that community in historical terms. And it's very, very important. So if we're going to take something away from the book of Ruth, well, I think we may read one more week of the book of Ruth. Uh, it's that, that the default position for Christian people, as they read this text, would say, you know, we wish to err on the side of inclusion. In the gospel... In Mark's gospel, this uh, story, I think, I'm not sure whether it appears in Luke. It does not appear in Matthew. And I expect Matthew would not have known what to do with this. Because he was more of a traditionalist. Matthew was, kind, was a former rabbi. And uh, he was the rabbi of a Christian Jewish congregation. So there's a lot of comment in there about keeping the law and all of that sort of stuff. Mark is the earliest gospel, and he reports this in all probability, which uh, this occurrence. And Jesus taking the opportunity to dig the religious authorities of his time. You know, people making great ostentation about their giving and their generosity. And he says and adds the added insult that they are prepared to devour widows' houses. Widows loom large in the ancient Near East and in the early Christian church, both as victims, but also as people who were free, uh, sometimes financially. They weren't beholden to people. And it made people very angry, certainly people in positions of leadership. You know, there's been, I just thought of this, there's been a lot of work done on the Salem witch trials. I think 40 women were burnt as witches back in the 17th century. And uh, what they found in their investigations were that most, if not all, of these women uh, owned property and were single. And so some people had uh, a, d a desire to get a hold, or my grandfather would have said, get their lunch hooks on their property. So people will be willing to do lots of different things to achieve those ends. So here is, this is what makes this, though, doubly difficult. You know, public people and the Sadducees and the scribes were public individuals in those days. They had certain public responsibilities, you know. So even in the ancient Near East, e even in uh, 30 A.D., you had uh, some issues of style over substance. You know, the difference between Franklin Roosevelt driving in an open car, looking very stylish, 
and Jimmy Carter in a cardigan sweater uh, talking to the American people by the fireplace. So for them to make a public display of what it is that they should be doing was maybe part of their work as public people. But this is a story about stewardship because here we are in the stewardship season and it has to do with this principle. And the principle I'm speaking of is stewardship is what you do with 100% of what you have. Not just some of it. So it's beginning to understand how that works. And here's a widow who gives everything because of her trust in God. We have no indication after Jesus reports this, he observes that reality and the mature spiritual stewardship that she demonstrates, but does not suggest to us that all of us need to do that. If you read the Greek text, it says she puts two lepta into the collection. They are the smallest coins in the ancient world. So in our language, if two of them put together is a penny. She gives everything because of what it is that she believes. And these people give a huge amount, get great accolades, and... Um, don't seem to get it because, you know, you can do maybe the right thing for the wrong reasons sometimes. And so it's important to point that out. Do we return the money? Not necessarily. But in fact, uh, it's an issue. And we need to think about it. And Jesus has something to say about this. The default position for all people ought to always err on the side of generosity. So... Give thanks uh, for coming from a tradition this week uh, of generosity, of working towards, laboring towards uh, inclusion in our own communities. Give thanks for the opportunity to know that God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives you. That is a priceless gift that each one of us receive no matter what. And by virtue of that, it affords us the opportunity to understand true generosity. Amen.